You are listening to Pastor Mike Griner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Only Visiting This Planet, recorded on June 2nd, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Chapter 31. You, are you there? I'm going to read it to you. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan. That's one of his sons. And Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers. You can just see Saul. His sons are dead. He had a couple chapters ago wanted a witch to tell him how he could win this thing, and he can't win it. Now he's his sons are dead, and he's got a bunch of arrows probably in his, well, some of them probably in his legs and everything, sticking out of them. This is not a good day for Saul. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Verse 4, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. <laughs> but the ar- He wanted a mercy kill, but the armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and he fell on it. Obviously, he didn't throw it on the ground and fall on it. He put the tip to his chest and down he went, or his neck or something. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men, all in the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. So everyone on the other side ran from their villages, their little villages. Maybe 100 people here, 80 people there, 200 people there. They took off, and the Philistines said, look, free villages. Verse 8, the next day the Philistines came to strip the slain. Might as well take their goods. And they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa, probably very excited to find the king there. So they cut off his head, and they stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news. It's good news to them. He's their enemy. To the house of their idols and to the people. They want to make sure they're, they were worshiping their false god, saying, we have killed the king of the God of Israel. Um, they put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth. It's a very religious thing, right? They're, Ashtaroth, you won this battle for us, and boom, there's his armor. And they fastened his body to the wall at Beth Shan. But the, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistine, what they had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall at Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and they burned them there. And they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. And that is the end of Saul. That's the end of Saul. And that's how 1 Samuel ends. Saul and his sons are gone. The throne is empty. David, by this time, 
He didn't exist at the beginning of 1 Samuel. By now we know him. He's well-loved in, in Israel. He's well-known in Israel. He has a sterling reputation with the Jews of always working on their side and being successful. He never, he never killed Saul. So he never even made any enemies for those loyal to Saul, perhaps. The throne is ready. God had made him ready. God had put him through an awful lot of things. So now he is ready to become the king. And his reign as the king of Israel is the most important. He's the most important king in the whole history of the nation of Israel. He's the greatest king in the nation of Israel with one exception. What made him the greatest king? It wasn't because of his riches or the land that he took. In fact, it wasn't because of his wisdom. He, so why is he the greatest king? Solomon, his own son, would have more wisdom, more land, more riches. He should be the greatest king, right? No, he's the greatest king because God chose to establish David's throne as eternal. God chose this man just like he chose Abraham. He chose Abraham to be a great nation. He chose David to be the father of the great kings. What if President Trump said, I want to eternally be the president of the United States? You'd think, wow, that would make you the most important man ever. <laughs> Plus, you'd have to live forever. Plus, America would have to live forever. Um, it's going to be hard to pull all that off. So why don't you just stick with the two, four years and out or whatever the elections say? But this is what's going to happen to David's throne. Early in his reign as king, and you can read ahead into 2 Samuel and find this, God sent Nathan the prophet, and he said this to David, when your days are fulfilled, if you're taking notes, I know I didn't give you time to go there, this is 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. That's his son Solomon. Look what God promises David while he's still alive. Wouldn't you like a promise that your children, if you have them, would be so successful? He shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Solomon built the first temple. Okay, and then it says this, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. And here's the word forever. And he says, I will be a father to him. He'll be to me like a son. He's talking of Solomon here. When he commits sin, I'll discipline him with a rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from Solomon, or him here, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And then he makes this promise again, and your house, that would be your family, your family and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your family and your kingdom forever, David. Your throne shall be established forever. 2 Samuel 7, 16. How can David's family and throne be established forever? Because that would mean first <laughs> that David would have to, his family would have to keep the throne to stay important. But second, Israel could never fade away. How can that be? There's no eternal people. The answer is that David's great, 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 and a few more greats, grandson would be named Joseph. And he'd be a carpenter in Nazareth. And his great, 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 
great, and a few more greats, granddaughter would be named Mary. And she would have a baby by the Holy Spirit whose name was Jesus, the Son of God, who is eternal. Jesus is his great-grandson. Jesus, by dying and raising from the dead, is able to be an eternal king. Unlike President Trump or President Obama or any American president, you could have an eternal king if he's Jesus. In fact, since Jesus died and rose from the dead, he took over the world. Have you ever thought of that? Do do the nations of the world know that? That they are all under the authority of the one who rose from the dead? And they say, well, we don't do what he says. Yeah, he's letting you disobey him at your peril. He will be back. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he took over the world. How? He beat the grave and built a new man. He built the everlasting man. He is the everlasting man. Everyone else who died pretty much stayed dead. A few of them saw a tunnel and they woke up and said, hey, I saw the light. But then they died again. Jesus got up. And when you're the only human who can get up from the grave and stay alive forever, guess what? You're the toughest dude who ever walked this planet. Because when all the fighting's over, there's only one guy alive. He took over the world. He took over the world. Now, he was the leader of the world as God forever. But when he became a man, he took over the world as a man by killing sin in his body because he had none, raising up with a new body that couldn't die. And that's why at the end of Matthew, it says, all authority on heaven and earth given to me, the resurrected everlasting man. From now on, I am king of every king President over every president, Lord over every Lord. I've taken over the world. And he sits on the throne of David. Now David's throne is over this little bit of land in Israel. It wasn't even all of Israel. One of these days. But God lifted up that throne to heaven. (laughs) And all who follow Jesus... Everyone on this life with these crumbling clay bodies who follow Jesus will be resurrected like him and be citizens in his kingdom and he will be forever our king. King of kings, Lord of lords, all in the house of David. Jesus in the gospel is called the son of God and the son of David. But this chapter, the the book's the rise of David, but this chapter is about Saul. What about Saul? Well, as for Saul, (laughs) you know, this is, David, you get an eternal throne, a great son, and the Savior comes from your line. And now, Saul, what did he win? Come on up. You lost God's favor. You lost God's spirit. You lost your three sons. Therefore, your family, (laughs) there ain't ain't no 23 of me for Saul. Ain't nobody doing 23 and me and finding out they're related to Saul. Nobody. At least not directly. He's nobody's granddaddy anymore. Nobody sits on the thrones. 
Well, maybe a couple of his grandsons escaped. But the house is in disgrace. Saul died. He becomes an afterthought in the field of history, doesn't he? It's a much different destiny than David's. He'd been great in his day. He was celebrated. He was tall and handsome. David was someone who, he said he was ruddy and handsome, but all the chicks dug Saul. <laughs> David, out of his brothers, say, he's least likely to be king. He was voted least likely to be king in his whole house. Whereas Saul, he was taller than all of them. And he was fierce. And he was a great warrior. And he had wealth. And he had looks. And he had fame. And he had, he, he had thug life tattooed across his chest. He had all the bling you could ever want. And now... His head has been removed and he's attached to the wall. We don't even know how he's attached. And did they attach his head too? He's just hanging on a wall outside. You could argue, well, he deserves it. He does deserve it, right? I mean, he's a bad guy. God blessed him and he was faithless to God. He mistreated his own family. He mistreated his own friends. He caused the slaughter of innocent men, women, and children, and priests. He got what was coming to him, didn't he? I mean, he's not one of the good guys in the Bible. But he wasn't the only one slain on that day either. His son, Jonathan, he was slain. Jonathan, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy in the Bible with as good a resume as Jonathan. God just liked him. It's like he made an extra special model of the human soul, Jonathan. Just a good guy. He's right up there with Daniel. He's one of the few saints in the Bible of which there's no strikes listed against him. He died that day too. He fought on the side of good, just like David. He was pure-hearted, like David. He loved David. He trusted God. He, went, he popped out of a hole with his armor bearer and said, God, if you want, we'll fight those 20-something guys. And he won. He supported God's true king. And what was his reward? He was slain by Philistines and attached to the wall next to his dead father. That's his reward. Well done! David's son... Solomon would write this a few decades later. He'd say, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. He said, if you're wise on this earth, you see things. You're, 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 you're clever. You're smart. You're, you, 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 you navigate life well. But the fool, he's like an idiot walking into things. And then he says, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them, the wise and the fool. I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so wise? Why have I been such a good boy? Why have I tried so hard to get this life right? To figure out how to navigate this world in an artistic manner. 
The whole world, by the way, is filled with self-help people throughout all history. We're going to teach you how to have your best life now, how to be happy now. That Anthony Robbins guy, he's not so happy now, but he used to tell you how to be happy now. And you can listen to this exercise guru tell you how to be happy now. And this holistic person tell you how how to be happy now. And, And Solomon saying, why have I tried? I said in my heart, this is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there's no remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. You ever think about Babe Ruth? 714, Hank Aaron, then that steroid guy. If you follow baseball, somebody say, I don't even know who those guys are. I get you. You ever think about Terry Bradshaw? You ever think about the glory? They're written in the history books. If history goes on long enough, no one will know them. Even if you read their name, you won't know who that is and you won't be impressed because there have been national athletic heroes for centuries all around the world that nobody knows. (laughs) That's what Solomon's saying. I could have lived my life really well. And that idiot over there, he just stayed drunk and stupid his whole time. We're both laid in the same hole and everything we say is forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Ecclesiastes 2, 16. If Jonathan and Saul did not have their names recorded in this book we've been studying, you wouldn't know them either. But you know what? A lot of men died in that battle that day, and you don't know their names. They had personalities. They had talents. Some of them were generally good. Some of them were awful. You don't know who they are. But in 10,000 battles, in 100,000 battles, the history of mankind is a history of wars. It's funny, when people look back, they forget that. They think, oh, the colonials came over from Europe and found a bunch of singing Indians and killed them all. No, they found a bunch of savages who killed each other. And as white savages, they killed them. That's what humans do. We're good at it. We do war. And there's been 100,000 battles and men dying on grave on those fields. <laughs> Good and bad. And what of their lives? Do, do you think anyone will remember them? No. Do you think their lives have any value? When I was a kid, like a little kid, I had such a great imagination. I could literally be by myself. I remember at four and five years old, I could be by myself and just think. It was weird. And I was always imagining things. And maybe some of you are like that. And you know, one of the things that I could just do, maybe it's because I'm just not as bright as other people. It didn't take much to entertain me, I think. I could sit and stare at the dust motes in a sunbeam forever. Any of you ever do that when you were a kid? I can't do it now. It's boring. But then it was really fun. Run your fingers through them. And there's like a little universe of dust motes. And they're gone. I don't know where all those dust motes are now. Not a one of them. My old friends. 
the lives of men who fall in battle or specks of dust in the sunlight for a moment, gone. 300 years ago, you had relatives who looked like you, had your personality, hair color, eyes, sense of humor. They were thriving on the earth and life was full. You don't even know who they are. You don't even know what they look like. Your own, your own kin. How on earth are you going to remember? To be a human is to not be very important. You just die. <laughs> Scripture says this in Isaiah. It says, all flesh is grass. And it's talking about human men and women here, boys and girls. All flesh is grass. It's beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. Our lives are like last summer's blades of grass. They're not even this summer's blades of grass. How many of you, I used to cut grass. If you've ever cut grass, how many millions of blades have you cut? Go back 10 years if you were old enough to cut it 10 years ago. That is the life of humans. Just some blade of grass. People posture and compete and think they make themselves great. And they're just dirt waiting to fertilize the earth. We fight hard, thinking, if I just get this right and that right, I'll make a happy life, a good life, a safe life. And all our hopes and dreams are foolish. They fade away, even fading from memory. What I'm describing to you is reality. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't some fiction show. I'm telling you the absolute, this is just real. No matter how lofty your thoughts and ideas are, you're quickly reduced to compost. William Barr, our Attorney General, said on CBS this morning, I don't care about all the political parts, right, whatever. But at the end of it, this lady asked him, aren't you worried about what people think of you and your reputation? His answer, I had to take out all the I knows or you knows. He said this, Everyone dies. That was his answer about his reputation. Everyone dies. I don't believe in the Homeric idea that immortality comes by having odes sung over you for centuries. He was right. What's the matter what they think of me? I'm going to die. I'm an old man. Jonathan the good and Saul the faithless hung together fastened to a wall, rotting in the sun. And my friends, that is the fate of every human, good or bad. This being the truth, how should we live? As, how should we respond in our short little lives? One, serve the king who overcame death. It amazes me the resiliency of the human stubbornness. If we can hear this, some people can hear this over and over and over and not serve Christ. Serving Saul, the Sauls of this world, that might get you something. I think you'd have got rich serving Saul. Serving Jonathan, you could have even felt good about yourself. But all the benefits stopped when they died. And when you died, 
You can serve David. When you die, it stops. But if you serve Jesus, you've got eternal rewards. Saul was fastened to a wall and died in shame. Jesus was fastened to a cross, died in shame. The difference, he rose in glory. Saul was just a man. Jesus was the son of God. Follow him. <laughs> if, you, if you could follow David or Jesus, pick Jesus. Because David's dead. Important to always let your mind think hard on the reason Jesus died. It's deeper all the time. Christian never get bored considering why Jesus died. That God would become a man and be innocent and die for you. Because the application is he's trying to do something, or he is doing, he did do something, that's repeatable in your life. You had to die. He didn't. He said, let me do that for you. You had sinned. He didn't. He said, let me take that for you. By doing those things, what he says to those who choose to follow him is, I can take away your sin and I can solve the death issue. I can solve that your life is nothing but compost issue. Just follow me. Serve the king, and your life will be eternal, <laughs> and your actions eternally remembered. It's time. It isn't time to fix the nations. Try. Do your best. Improve your neighborhood. But you're not going to bring the kingdom of God on earth. Well, there's churches who say it. I want to expand the kingdom of God on the earth. Well, you can't. At least not in the sense that you're saying. You're not going to make it so puppies are always happy. The sun always shines. Children always sing and nobody dies. You can expand the number of citizens in the kingdom. That you can do. So you could spend your life trying to fix the earth and you're not going to fix anything. You can spend your life recycling plastic. And I don't, if you want to recycle it, do it. I say, save the straws for last. They're really useful. I don't know why people don't like straws. I want to use a straw the day before I die. It's time, though, to do something important. Follow Jesus. You say, well, I could be doing something important that's not following Jesus. Not in a hundred years, you can't. Not in two hundred, you're just dead. Well, I could have solved someone's disease. They're dead. I could have established a nation. It's gone. Give it enough time. Follow Jesus. Bring the good news and the power of the Holy Spirit. Resurrect a dead soul. Forgiveness of sins. Create. With the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel, work with Jesus to bring the dead to life who live forever. Okay, now you're doing something that might actually matter. Who are you going to follow? You can follow yourself. 
That's the American way. Well, oh, oh, I don't need anyone to leave me. But you don't even know where you're going. You can follow another earthling <laughs> who you really admire their ideas. Blind leading the blind. Was it Rich Mullen said, someone told him to follow his nose. Follow your nose. He said, but my direction changed every time I turned my head. So he said he'd follow the maker of noses instead. Second, live a thankful and good life. Okay, you're a speck of dust. Be the best little dog on speck of dust you can be. <laughs> okay, we're just flitting in the sun for a minute. Be thankful all minute long. Hey, it goes like this. Boom. It's graduation weekend, right? I'm looking at these. I just... I, Saw a beautiful young lady on the screen. And my brain immediately went back to my, the first VBS I had here at Harvest. And she was knee high to a chicken. Do chickens have knees? I don't know. She was this big. So I added the math. I thought, if we let that time pass again, I'll be 70. I was young when I got here. Guess what? Your life is going fast. Well, what should I do? You could cry about it. You could do what the very rich do, get transfusions from young people thinking that'll help. Or, heck, enjoy the day. I choose enjoy the day. Enjoy the day. Are you having a Pop-Tart today? Doggone it, thank God for Pop-Tarts. And if you think I'm kidding, I'm telling you, Living that way glorifies God. I got a Pop-Tart and I'm breathing. Thanks. Here's what, how Solomon put it. He said, go, eat your bread. I say Pop-Tart, but bread. Some of you are like, no, don't eat bread. Keto diet, whatever. No, don't eat animals. Only people fighting over what to eat. Listen, I'll tell you what to eat. <laughs> eat everything you like. If you don't want to gain weight, eat fewer calories than you, than you burn. That's it, okay? <laughs> People are living on kale. They're going to get hit by a bus when they're 30. <laughs> First thing they say in heaven is, why was I eating kale? <laughs> There's a reason nobody hires me as their fitness coach. <laughs> Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. I think that's figurative, like keep an honest heart. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life. Now he's, this is advice given to a son, so you have to modify it if you're married or not married or a woman or a man. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. If you're going to spend a little time out of the little life you have, give it your all, baby. Little engine that could, the whole deal. We got enough couch potatoes, but if you're going to be a couch potato, be a better one than the next guy. 
Because there's no work, no thought, no knowledge, or no wisdom in the grave. That's what Sheol is. Ecclesiastes 9. Then Ecclesiastes 12. He ends the book saying this. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Meaning, by the way, if you want to read more about this, read Ecclesiastes. Terrific book. Solomon takes the wisdom God gave him and he examines all of life, tries to find what's important. And this is, his, this is how he ends it. He says, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He went through all that just to get back to walk with God, love one another, seek the lost. Fear God and bring every deed in, for God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. He's saying life is short, life is a gift, live well, live thankfully, treasure every, every moment and he also said, and this is number three, weigh all things against eternity. Weigh all things against eternity. Larry Norman wrote a song many years ago. Second time I've quoted Larry Norman. For those of you who want to go find some old Christian rock and roll on your Spotify. And I'm going to read this to you. I might even start singing it, unlike the last one. But I might not. Written in the 70s, like 70, 69. You think it's such a sad thing when you see a fallen king. Then you find out they're only princes to begin with. And everybody has to choose whether they will win or lose, follow God or sing the blues and who they're going to sin with. What a mess the world is in. I wonder who began it. Don't ask me. I'm only visiting this planet. You're going to live this short life one of two ways, as a resident of earth or as a visitor. Most people live on earth as a resident. In other words, this is home. Well, this is home. Your fate is a dirt nap. Worse than that, as Solomon said, God judges all things. You will be resurrected, not in one of those super everlasting man bodies, but in a body that can be punished. You'll be reminded of your wicked deeds and punished eternally by God. And if you say, well, there's got to be a better option. There is. Jesus died on a cross to take away your sin. Right now, you can avoid that. You can be forgiven. It's your choice. You either can live as a resident of earth and build your castle here. Too many Christians say, I get it all here and heaven when I die. You can't do it. You live thankfully for your Pop-Tart here. But if there ain't no Pop-Tart, it don't matter. He's no, you like a Pop-Tart because you ain't a resident here. Now make that Pop-Tart whatever that thing you have to have. Your boat, your camp, your house, your husband and three kids that don't exist. Make the Pop-Tart anything you want. You can't live without it if you're a resident. But if you're a visitor, I ain't staying anyway. I ain't staying anyway. You could put up with ants in the hotel room for another hour because you're leaving. And where you're going to is better. <laughs> you see, residents have to fear death. So they get transfusions of young people's blood and they try the ketosis weight loss system. <laughs> Everyone wants to be in shape. 
what's wrong with this shape? I love it. (laughs) I have to be careful. We need to be good stewards of our body. But I think if I keep taking my my omega-3 oil and aspirin, I'll get 75 out of this one. And then, or 80 if I'm lucky, that's enough. Because I ain't afraid, I don't have to be afraid of death. But if you are resident here, watch out for buses and eat your kale. Because you don't know what's going to happen. Peter says Larry Norman is right. Peter used to listen to Larry Norman. He said in 1 Peter 2, 11, Behold, I urge you as sojourners. He said, Christians, call yourself sojourners. What does that mean? When I came into this church before I met Jesus, I was a resident of this town, of this earth, of this family. But now that I know Jesus, I am now a visitor on this planet. I am a sojourner. I am an exile. I'm an exile. This isn't even my home. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Because you ain't going to be here long. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, let's say unbelievers, honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day he comes back. You are to live constantly remembering that an eternal king is going to come. You have to live with a light, the light of judgment day. You have to live today so you'll be happy when the king returns. You have to do things today that you'd be proud of when the king returns. What do you have to change to get to that? What do you have to change? I came up here before I came in for I was praying. I was praying my Aptat. If you didn't know what that is, go look at last week's sermons. I already knew Aptat, but I was reminded. I said, God, if I die when I'm done, don't let me say anything I wouldn't be proud of second after I die, when I see you. Well, that's the way you live your whole life. That's the way you're to live your whole life, Christian. I'm just passing through, baby. Well, here's the bills, and you're going to have to get a smaller place. Don't matter, I'm just here for a little bit. (laughs) Here's a person who needs something. You're going to have to be generous. I don't care. I get everything when I get home. Whatever I'm traveling, my traveling money, take it. Vacation's almost over. (laughs) What do you have to change? What do you got to let go of? Let's pray and you tell God. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. I want to live realizing that no matter what I do to get this life right, I end up as worm food. And then judgment day. And I don't want to be afraid of either one of those things. Jesus, I want to follow you. Every day, living in light of eternity. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.